Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to today's CalFrac Well Services Limited third quarter 2020 earnings release call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this time, simply press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Scott Treadwell, Vice President, Capital Markets and Strategy. Please go ahead. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our discussion of CalFrac Well Services' third quarter 2020 results. Also on the call today are Lindsay Link, CalFrac's President and Chief Operating Officer, and Mike Olenek, our Chief Financial Officer. This morning's conference call will be conducted as follows. Lindsay will provide some introductory remarks, after which Mike will provide an overview of the financial performance of the company. Lindsay will then close the presentation with an outlook for CalFrac's business. After the presentation, we will open the call to questions. In a news release issued earlier today, CalFrac reported its third quarter 2020 results. Please note that all financial figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise indicated. Some of our comments today will refer to non-IFRS financial measures such as adjusted EBITDA and operating income. Please see our news release for additional disclosure on these financial measures. Our comments today will also include forward-looking statements regarding CalFrac's future results and prospects. We caution you that these forward-looking statements are subject to a number of known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause our results to differ materially from our expectations. Please see our news release and other regulatory filings, including our 2019 annual report, as well as items related to our announced recapitalization process, for more information on forward-looking statements and these risk factors. Finally, information on CalFrac's current recapitalization process can be found on our Investor Relations webpage under Recapitalization Transaction Information. Thanks. Lindsay, over to you. Thanks, Scott. Good morning, and thank you everyone for joining our call today. Before Mike comments on financial matters, I'd like to offer a few opening remarks. As we've all seen, the third quarter of 2020 showed the strength of our diversification and the quality of our team. Our Canadian and Russian operations performed very well, largely due to long-standing client relationships and excellent field performance. In the United States, activity improved sequentially as we built back operating capacity at a measured pace. Our North American operations delivered positive financial results despite pricing having fallen as, by as much as 20% over the last year. In Argentina, the government-mandated shutdown of operations was partially lifted as the quarter progressed, and improvement continues. We also achieved a number of milestones in pursuing our recapitalization, having secured the approval of the amended recapitalization transaction by our shareholders, note holders, and the courts. We will keep you all informed as matters evolve. 
I look forward to putting the past several months behind us and moving ahead to better days for CalFRAC, our stakeholders, and our industry. Over the past months, our employees, vendors, and clients have continued to demonstrate their support for CalFRAC. Our clients in particular have repeatedly voiced their appreciation for the excellent service CalFRAC provides in the field and in the office to support their development plans. I'd like to thank all of our people, partners, investors, for their support over the last few months as we move through the recapitalization process. While the worst of 2020 seems to be behind us and activity levels are improving across much of our operation, we will not be in a rush to add equipment or cost to our footprint. We will continue to advance a prudent and measured approach to capital allocation and operation expansion in improving markets globally, with a focus on free cash flow and appropriate returns on capital to underpin CalFRAC's long-term success. Now, I will pass the call over to Mike, who will present an overview of our quarterly financial performance. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you everyone for joining us for today's call. Our third quarter results improved significantly compared to the prior quarter in all divisions due to activity improvements and field productivity combined with cost savings throughout all areas of our business. Consolidated revenue in the third quarter decreased by 68% year over year to 127.8 million, largely due to material slowdowns in the United States Canada and Argentina, along with a more modest reduction in Russia. Adjusted EBITDA reported for the quarter was 8.5 million compared to 43 million a year ago. Operating income was down 83% to 8 million from 47 million in 2019. These weaker results were driven by lower activity and pricing in North America and Argentina as well as non-cash charges of 2.8 million and 0.4 million related to restructuring costs that were recorded during the quarter. The net loss for the quarter was 50 million compared to a net loss of 29.4 million in the same period of 2019. For the three months ended September 30th, 2020, depreciation expense decreased by 27 million to 31.7 million from 58.7 million in the corresponding quarter of 2019. This decrease was driven primarily by a 227.2 million impairment to PP&E that was recorded in the first half of 2020, as well as lower levels of capital spending on capital items with shorter useful lives and corresponding higher depreciation rates. In January of this year, CalFRAC's Board of Directors approved the company's 2020 capital budget of $100 million. This budget was subsequently reduced in March to $55 million due to the significant changes in industry activity that were experienced earlier in the year. In November, the Board of Directors has further reduced the company's capital budget to $40 million, and it will be adjusted further, if necessary, to respond to changes in market conditions and economics. After a significant release in the second quarter of 2020, working capital built during the third quarter by $26.2 million. This build was the largest driver of the $47.8 million reduction in cash on hand during the third quarter, which also included a $5 million decrease in borrowings under the company's revolving credit facility. 
To summarize the balance sheet as at September 30th, the company had working capital of $128 million, including $40.1 million in cash. At September 30th, 2020, the company had used $0.9 million of its credit facilities for letters of credit and had $165 million of borrowings under its credit facilities, leaving $209.1 million in potential capacity at the end of the third quarter. Subsequent to the end of the third quarter, following court approval of the amended recapitalization transaction, CalFrec's senior lending syndicate granted the company a waiver on its funded debt to EBITDA covenant. This waiver is a precursor to further changes to the credit facilities that will become effective upon the closing of the recapitalization transaction. I would now like to turn the call back to Lindsay to provide our outlook. Thanks, Mike. I will now present an outlook for CalFrac's operations across our geographical footprint. Despite a number of significant global events, including the ongoing impacts of COVID-19, oil prices have remained relatively stable around $40 per barrel. We continue to see a balance in the market as supply curtailments in OPEC and capital spending reductions globally have maintained pace with demand destruction resulting from COVID-19 related restrictions. At some point, a recovery in demand levels will tighten the physical market for oil and will likely require a material increase in activity in North America to maintain balance. Natural gas fundamentals have continued to improve through 2020 with strip pricing at Henry Hub now approaching 3 million US dollars per million BTUs for 2021. This improvement has been reflected partially in capital shifts on the part of our clients, and we expect more focus on natural gas development in the years ahead, in the year ahead, in Canada, the United States, and Argentina, where incentives for development designed to reduce energy imports and strengthen the domestic in industry and economy could improve activity levels in the Bacamorta shale play. We continue to see a consistent focus on prudent capital allocation over production growth on the part of our client base, and expect that strategy to continue in 2021. It is worth noting that across the oil field services space, pricing is down materially from 2019, while field import performance has improved substantially. Our customers are getting outstanding performance in the field for the lowest cost in years. While this situation is a material tailwind for the operations of our clients, it is not sustainable and in the long term, especially as it pertains to pricing and returns on investment for oil field services. As always, our focus at CalFrac is to deliver on our brand promise, to do it better, to do it safely, and to do it on time. Even through 2020, we have been able to advance our performance against this standard. Our fixed costs, which include district and divisional costs, as well as our reported SG&A, are expected to be down over $70 million in 2020 compared to 2019. Some of these savings have come from compensation and headcount reductions, but a significant portion have been realized through due to ongoing process improvements and the implementation of our ERP system during 2020. 
We will not cut corners in making sure that we can operate safely, reliably, and efficiently in the field, but we will always look for ways to execute our back office support and corporate functions as cost-effectively as possible. By doing this, we aim to maximize the drop-down of profits earned in the field to our bottom line. In our U.S. division, the quarter showed steady improvement in activity. Although some projects were delayed, our FRAC calendar improved through the quarter, and that trend has continued into Q4. As budgets reset for 2021, we expect modest incremental improvement in activity levels across most stations in the United States. This may present opportunities to improve utilization further and potentially add more active crews to our U.S. operation in the early part of 2021. There has been no pricing improvement in the U.S. market over the summer, and outside of any import, input cost inflation, pricing improvement is not likely to occur in the near term. Should activity levels accelerate more rapidly than we anticipate, pricing improvement will be a necessary part of a rapid return to higher activity levels. In Canada, the third quarter was unfortunately volatile in terms of activity levels. While the July and September while July and September were strong months, client schedules and delays removed almost all the activity from the August calendar. This impact is reflected in the financial results, resulting in approximately 500 basis points of margin erosion for the third quarter. The third quarter ended with strong utilization for CalFRAC's Canadian division, a trend that appears set to continue for much of the fourth quarter, potentially driving modestly improved activity overall. Looking into 2021, our marketed equipment is essentially fully booked through the first quarter of the year our core customers are generally messaging increased activity in 2021 compared to the second half of 2020. Some shift towards gassier resources than we have seen in the last number of years will also take place. I'll take a minute to, now to cover CalFRAC's international operations. In the third quarter, CalFRAC's operations in Russia exceeded our expectation for both revenue and profitability. The improvements were due to our main customer completing a larger percentage of horizontal multi-stage conventional wells, as well as the avoidance of the operational disruptions that have been a regular occurrence over the last number of years. Our Russian management team has also optimized the business for current activity levels, further improving margin performance. While activity levels could remain elevated through the fourth quarter, the onset of winter in Western Siberia is expected to impact our operational tempo at some point in the quarter. As well, the switch to higher cost winter diesel and the need to run engines at all times when equipment is outside will impact margins in the fourth quarter as is difficult. Forecasted work volumes for 2021 appear to be similar to those experienced in 2020 and improved access to new operating field to a new operating field should reduce the risk of unforeseen idle periods throughout the year. Operations in Argentina were shut down in late March by government 
decree in response to COVID-19 and did not recommence until the middle of June. The restart was a slow process and large-scale fracturing operations in the Nukan region were among the last to start back up. While results were materially better than the prior quarter, we were not able to, to deliver positive operating income in Argentina due to the low levels of activity. Looking ahead, we expect further significant improvement in our results in Argentina and a return to positive operating income in the country in the fourth quarter, as almost all operations will be back to pre-COVID levels. Our outlook for 2021 appears robust today, with development incentives rolled out by the federal government in Argentina expected to drive increased activity in unconventional resource drilling and completions. Finally, to touch on our recapitalization process, the statutory appeal process launched by Wilkes Brothers after the ruling of the Court of Queen's Bench approving CalFRAC's plan of arrangement on October 30th is moving ahead. The Alberta Court of Appeal has agreed to hear the appeal on an expedited basis with the hearing scheduled for November 25th. CalFRAC will vigorously oppose the appeal and is confident that the evidence before the Court of Appeal supports our position. CalFRAC will continue to update stakeholders with all significant developments as the process continues and is continuing preparations to close the amended recapitalization transaction as quickly as practical following the upcoming appeal hearing. One final note of thanks to our employees for all of their efforts. Day in and day out, I'm proud of the work that they do. And, <coughs> excuse me, and, and uh, I'd also like to thank everyone for joining us today, and I will now turn the call back to the operator for questions. Okay, thank you. If at any time anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that would be star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Wekar Zayed from ATV Capital Markets. Your line is open. Um, thank you for uh, taking my question. Uh, first uh, question, uh, Lindsay, what, do you, uh, what would be the magnitude of uh, uh, any legal fees that uh, Caltrack may incur, um, you know, because of the recap and you know other other issues? Well, Wekar, as part of our public disclosure, we don't get into just the legal fees, but we do talk about transaction fees in total, uh, and it's uh, around $19 million right now is our current forecast. Some of that has already been incurred as, as we've been going uh, through the process, and some of that will be on the close of the transaction here, uh, hopefully in the late fourth quarter. Now, is that capped at 19, or do you, you know, did the process taken longer than expected? Is it going to increase from here? Uh, Wakar, it's Scott. I, I don't think we'll give you any color there. I mean, to the extent the, the process is extended or there's, there's uh, loose ends to tie up, uh, if there's material incremental costs, we'll, we'll certainly, uh, you know, give some color around that. But uh, at this point, we won't give you any, anything incremental there. Okay. Uh, then just the, the uh, you know, if, if demand for uh, equipment increases in the U.S. and Canada, what will be the kind of reactivation cost for uh, an additional crew uh, in those markets? So 
For the U.S., uh, you know, generally speaking, a, a fleet, especially with the first couple of fleets, will be less than a million dollars a piece. Uh, we we have equipment that is is basically ready to start up. We don't have the people uh, there, so you you have some some time. In in Canada, as far as Canada goes. Uh, we would be looking for more increased utilization rather than increased uh, horsepower uh, being brought into the country. Okay, and, and then um, you know you have, uh, I believe you now have five uh, crews active in the U.S. Uh, what basins are they kind of focused on, and you know going forward, what the focus is going to be, um, you know, in which basins? I mean, we're we, we are. Our ge geographical footprint is is in the northeast, and and that will will continue to be a focus. The Bakken, which is still a focus, uh, we're in western Colorado, and uh, we have uh, we have uh, West Texas in in, uh, in uh, coming out of our New Mexico base. We probably will have some work coming out of uh, out of our South Texas operation in San Antonio. It's it's possible. There's there's a fair amount of moving pieces right at the moment, uh, Wakar. Um, you know, potentially we could get uh, a couple of fleets, additional fleets running in Q1. Okay. So, you know, right now your market share in the U.S. looks to be around, you know, 3.8% or so. Do you think you can maintain that market share if activity continues to increase uh, throughout uh, 2021? Yeah, Wakar, well, Scott, I, I think, you know, the short answer is yes. I think we're certainly positioned that, you know, if, if frac activity was to go up by, you know, 50, 60, 100 percent, given our geographic footprint, we, I think, could absolutely maintain pace with that. But I want to caveat that to say we don't run our business based on market share. And so, you know, if the activity is growing, but the economic returns aren't there, I don't think you'll see us um, lose too much sleep over where our market share trends. Um, but by the same token, uh, the right customer and the right approach might see us outgrow uh, some basins as well. So, uh, you know, I think we're, we're, we'll be in the ballpark, but I wouldn't say we'll slavishly stick to it. Now, some of your competitors, uh, both in the U.S. and Canada, have mentioned that there's increased customer demand for dual fuel um, fleets. And some of the companies, some of your competitors are investing in dual fuel as well, conversions and even tier four engines and all. Where do you stand with that, and how is uh, Calfrac positioned if you know if you're seeing those trends as well? We are. That's a great question, Rekar. We're we are continuing to add to our dual fuel uh, fleet, uh, both in Canada and in the U.S. Um, in Canada, you know. Probably with this latest uh, uh, increase in in our dual fuel that we've just uh, started on, we'll we'll have the uh, at least a majority. It won't be a large majority, but a majority of our units will be dual fuel capable. And in um, in the U.S., we are continuing to add as as uh, customer uh, demands kind of make it economically feasible. Uh, to to do so, so we're 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 on that trend. We're we are not on the trend of uh, replacing uh, existing engines with uh, tier four engines. That's a that's a larger uh, um, value 
that a person would have to put into a unit, and and uh, I I think we would pursue dual fuel over over that for now. Okay, and, and just one uh, uh, maybe two two questions last. Uh, what portion of your fleet right now is dual fuel capable in Canada and the U.S.? And then how many fleets do you have active in Argentina? That's all for me. Uh, well, as Lindsay said, we're once we're done this, it'll be a little over half in Canada. I think we're running. Uh, we were a little over a third prior to uh, this engagement. Uh, in the U.S., it would be less than that. Uh, but again, I think part of it goes back to footprint and I guess the the in base and logistics capability. Uh, so we don't want to get too far ahead of that. I think what I could tell you is that we don't feel like it would be a stress to any of our divisions. To, to add dual fuel uh, as customers demand it and as logistics infrastructure supports it. Um, and then in Argentina right now, we're running running one large frac spread in New Ken, and then probably three to four uh, smaller spreads in the southern part of the country uh, across a couple of districts. And how does that number compare to the, the second quarter in, in Argentina? Oh, significantly better. We were running, you know, if you wanted to round it, it was probably close to zero for parts of the second quarter. Uh, we probably exited Q2 running two small fleets and no large fleets. Uh, you know, there's still a little bit of, of excess capacity there for us, but we, you know, certainly have uh, the potential to put, you know, most if not all of our frac equipment to work in Argentina, you know, probably within the next Three to six months. It would. It's kind of going to depend on some some customer programs, but uh, we see the demand there for sure. That uh, that utilization can continue to move higher. So, so, if I understand correctly, in the third quarter, you only had three to four smaller units working, and now the addition in the fourth quarter would be the one larger fleet. Is that right? Essentially, yeah. You know, there'll be some pluses or minuses around that, but the big step will be the the large fleet in in New Kent. Okay, great. Thank you very much. That, that, those are all my questions. Thanks, Wakar. The next question will come from Andrew Bradford from Raymond James. Your line is open. Morning, guys. Morning, Morning Andrew. Um, Morning. Hey, thank you. Um, just so I understand, maybe to finish off on that line of questioning, is does your current budget contemplate more conversions to dual fuel? That's correct, yes. Uh, in okay. both the uh, U.S. and Canada. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, thank you for that. Um, are we in an, an environment in either speaking specifically to the to uh, the North American fracturing fleet? Are we in an environment where uh, you know we're watching that uh, demand is rising slowly? But are are you at a point now where uh, you know? you contemplate maybe bidding into additional customers or that there's some fluidity of the customer base between uh, between providers? Yeah, I think there's, there's always a little bit of that. Um, I would say in Canada, we've seen maybe less fluidity. There's always some changes, uh, but I think our, certainly our core clients and the core clients of most of our peers um, are, you know, relatively sticky. Um, in the U.S., there's, there's, you know, definitely clients that are sticky and that have, you know, certainly in the CalFrac context maintained uh, their relationship with us. Uh, but we have certainly seen the opportunity uh, to bid on programs that, 
you know, I don't want to say we wouldn't have bid on in the past because I think we're we're always looking at opportunities. But uh, you know, when the bid comes in, you, you know, you sort of think that the color might be that uh, this is more of a box ticking exercise rather than an actual search for new providers. But there has been some some turnover, notably in the U.S., that uh, you know uh, always gives us gives you hope that there's there's opportunity there. But I don't think it's marked the change for us. I don't think we're more aggressive uh, or more concerned about um, any of that. I, I'd say it's we've observed it, but I don't think we'd necessarily note it as you know hugely material. Sure. Do you think competition over new work increases as uh, demand starts rising? It's going to be interesting, right? Because I think the way this is going to play out is you've got underutilized equipment, which economics would tell you has little to no marginal cost. And so absolutely, you're going to see irrational pricing on the face of it to see that go to work. And, and we've absolutely seen that both sides of the border. But I don't know that that's a very large piece of the fracturing market in either country. And so I would suggest that, you know, with a quarter at kind of this activity level or maybe slightly higher, there won't be much underutilized equipment and you'll have to reactivate uh, assets to get them to go to work. Now, for us, some of that will be relatively low cost stuff for the first few. Um, for others, it might be the same. It might be more. Uh, and so that should hopefully inform where pricing needs to go and hopefully gets rid of the irrational uh, bidding. Um, now, that being said, I think we've all been proved wrong for a number of years about uh, faith in the rationality of, of pricing in our market. So we're certainly not hanging our hat on that, but uh, that's kind of informed why we've said we don't think pricing moves significantly in the near term, is we think there's still a little bit of underutilized capacity in North America. Sure. So suffice it to say then that you get improved economics simply through uh, improved utilization within your existing customer base. That would give you enough operating leverage to get higher returns on a marginal, on, on an incremental crew. Is that, is that right? But you, yep, it's not, you, the plan isn't necessarily predicated on pricing increases. No, no. I think for us, the other part of it is the, the work we've done on cost reductions, um, you know, primarily at the, at the district and divisional level, where adding a fleet uh, can be quite, quite accretive to our margins. I mean, it always is, but I think it's, it's even more powerful uh, now you've seen the results in in the North American businesses, you know, particularly in Canada, on a you know a significantly reduced revenue base, uh, and so we think that uh, there there can be a fair amount of pass through of, of cash from the field to the bottom line. Uh, but as I said, you know, it, it, part of that equation when you're looking at reactivation is is where the market is, and there is an outlay of capital, even though it's only a million dollars, it's it's still something that has to be accounted for, and and that's going to be our you know, decision-making process. Mm -hmm. I think uh, also, Andrew, you know, we're always probably a, a quarter behind on the on the pricing. So, you know, Q1 is, I have no doubt, we'll have a, a number of fleets start up uh, in, in our industry, but that pricing is basically being um, secured by the, by the uh, customers today. So I think what we had put forward that if we if it goes beyond what we expect, then you know we will have to I think even as an industry, but for sure on our company, you know we would want to have an increase in pricing. But what we're projecting here it doesn't have a uh, an increased uh, price uh, improvement yeah. yet. But 
okay, you don't have to press the point too much here, um, uh, but you would be happy. I assume you would also start a crew, if you, not necessarily if you didn't get an increase in pricing, but if you had, um, uh, you know, uh, certainty that might, uh, you know, a contract might provide, or certainty in terms of its utilization over an X period of time, that would be sufficient. Right, and also assume, if right? we we get um, one or two customers that that are planning to start up that where they're they're very efficient, they they know how to do their work, and we can. Um, uh, count on on them to give us more than 20 days in a in a month. You know we'll end up with 30 days and larger pads and 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 such. So we get both volume and efficiency all at the same time. Yeah, that's what I was driving at. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. And your next question will come from Ken Manukian from Independent Credit. Your line is open. Hi, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, well, to sort of uh, continue on uh, Andrew's line, obviously you have been uh, able to stick with the revenue per fracturing job both in the U.S. and Canada pretty well, which implies that uh, you are being very disciplined in terms of bidding for non-bidding for unprofitable contracts. But I assume, as you just mentioned, that there there are uh, bidders willing to accept lower pricing, and that depends uh, on their uh, sort of location of their fleets and other considerations. But um, all facts, sort of uh, considering, what do you, what do you think? Uh, are these uh, sort of bids coming for 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 the spot for spot contracts or for long-term uh, contracts with majors? Uh, I I think it probably runs the entire gamut. I mean, to the extent that there's an underutilized active fleet, you're probably not bidding that into a three-year contract with a, a major because you might not have the capacity. You'd be contemplating an incremental fleet. Uh, but I think the thought process is, you know, unfortunately the same. Our, our industry for a lot of years is focused on on EBITDA, and that, that comes from a time when fracturing wasn't that capital intensive. And so EBITDA is a very simple uh, financial measure for people to understand. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's it's not necessarily reflective of the health of the industry today. And so, I know certainly at Calfrac, we focus on you know we'll call it cash in jeans. You know, an operating income or EBITDA less a capex. Um, that's what our divisions need to run their business to, and that's how we hold them to account. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case uh, across the industry. Um, and if it is, the results would suggest some people might not fully understand that equation. And at this point, it's unclear whether um, you will start seeing more activities uh, from the spot market or from the contract market in the first quarter. And um, to the same question, have you started talking about the first quarter um, utilization with your clients or not yet? No, I think well certainly in Canada I think we've got a, a decent amount of visibility on on Q1 and as as Lindsay said you know the utilization on the three marketed fleets we have looks quite high. Uh, I think in the U.S. on the fleets we have uh, working today I think the again the line of sight's pretty good. Um, to Lindsay's point there's there's still some moving parts that could see some incremental demand for fleets in the first quarter but. You know, we're certainly not definitive on that yet, uh, but again, it has to—it all has to come together. The economics and the visibility on work 
uh, and the partnership with the customer. Um, if that works, if that all those boxes all get ticked, then there's potential for for more activity. But again, we're not we're not messaging that as a as a done deal today. And the new balance that you guys will have um, is it kind of based on your uh, perception of today's sort of market environment or improved market environment? I mean, the break-even point is as of today or as of lower sort of activities. How do you um, sort of how do you explain not explain how do you can, can you tell me a little bit about the rationale that you had when 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 you guys put together uh, this new balance sheet in perspective um, and what's the cash flow break-even point and how does it correlate with the number of fleets that you will be utilizing? Uh, well, Stan, I won't go through chapter and verse on on sort of the rationale. Um, I'll, I'll point you to all of the official disclosure, the public disclosure that we've got on that. Um, you know, suffice to say, I think we've we said a number of times, uh, given what happened uh, in the COVID uh, part of you know the Q1 and the slowdown, uh, it became pretty obvious that uh, you know we couldn't just wait for things to get better. We had to take action on our balance sheet, and, and we've done that. Um, in terms of the cash break-even, I think we've said a number of times that the interest reduction is just over $50 million, depending on your, your FX um, in Canadian dollars. We think that's significant. Um, you know, I think we've also said a number of times that you know, capital allocation uh, to debt reduction is, is still on the table. I mean, the board approves a budget every year and approves the allocation of capital. And, and every year, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Mike will nod when I say he's going to put his hand up that we should be reducing debt. The operations guys are going to want to invest in the business um, and, and the people of the business, and it'll be about striking that right balance. So I think we've done good work, but I, I certainly wouldn't say the job's done, but I wouldn't point you to any you know, specific targets that we're going to set incrementally. Um, you know, It's all about capital allocation in our business, and we'll try to do our best on that going forward. I see. All right, good luck, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Again, if anybody else has a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. I do have a question from John Gibson from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Morning, guys. Morning, John. Hey, John. Hey, John. Um, can you just talk a little bit more specifically about your CapEx reduction for this year? Just what exactly is driving this decrease in um, if you could maybe provide some geographic details on where you're allocating lower capital compared to your prior plan. It really is coming from our, our maintenance capital for the most part. We are, um, our guys have, have done a phenomenal job uh, in, in, I think, getting better uh, life out of, our, out of our capital assets. Um, and, and uh, you know, probably the budget was set based upon a certain utilization level and historic uh, numbers, and, and uh, they're coming in lower than expected. Uh, that has taken place on almost all four uh, geographies. Uh, you know, they've all given up uh, capital. To the same extent, uh, you know, if they, if they need some... Some capital we have given them some capital the the dual fuel uh, is, is a good example of it it's a it's a reallocation uh, number where maybe we didn't have it in the plan but we've uh, you know been able to to uh, 
utilize that. And it especially happens in the in the second and third and now the projection on the on the fourth quarter. The first quarter was fairly uh, intense for capital spending on on on, on their job. Um, I think Canada is probably the one that has been the most successful on on reducing their capital need uh, this year so far. So it's fair to say that's more a function of, I guess, increasing efficiencies as opposed to a softer outlook for the remainder of the year. Oh yes, I, I think it's the the outlook for the year is actually for the rest of the year is 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 better than than what we've had in the in the prior part. Not maybe not Q1 obviously, but but then in the other quarters, it, it is not a uh, indicative of a reduction in uh, in uh, workload. In in fact, the North American side, we have the expectation of increased revenues on in both U.S. and Canada and Argentina for that matter. Okay, great. I guess then going forward to 2021, I, you probably don't want to give guidance, but I'm just wondering if the same sort of rationale will apply in terms of just lower overall spending for next year despite maybe a slight uptick in activity hey john it's mike um yeah it's a bit early to be talking about uh 2021 guidance on capital but uh certainly we are incorporating the trends that we're experiencing today and that will feed into the decisions on how we look at capex uh next year great um next would be just just given the status of your recap are you handcuffed somewhat in terms of making capital allocation decisions, or um, has this not really impacted things so far? No, I would say that the the process is is relatively unchanged. The, the divisions have their their asks, and they interface with the executive group here in Calgary to to come up with with an answer, and that's put in front of the board um, who makes a decision. And I don't think that's changed. Um, you know, to Lindsay's point, um, there were there was capital allocated to dual fuel conversions that wasn't in the original plan. So it, it certainly speaks to us having capital flexibility um, at the at the highest level. Um, you know, I, I don't think in this market you would spend on an unrestricted basis to to try and get ahead of things. You would spend prudently and I think that's what we're doing. So uh, no real change there. Mm-hmm. The backdrop, of course, John, as you can see, you know, there's what, 12, 14 million dollars less capital than what we planned. So we haven't had lots of asks to do either. Okay, great. Um, just last one for me, just in terms of your cost structure, just wondering how much cost structure improvements, how much incremental activity could your organization handle before it would start to have to add back sort of significant fixed costs to your business? Hey, John, it's Mike on, on that again as well. Uh, you know, we really took uh, a hard look at our cost structure in, in obviously in Q2 with what was going on. Uh, with the advent of the new ERP that's allowed us, I think, to have a, a different platform uh, as far as scaling up and scaling down administratively than what we've had in the past. So that's going to be helpful going forward. I mean, really, I think what we're looking here is that incrementally it's going to be mainly field staff that gets added. Obviously, you're going to have mechanics and such that are going to get added if the equipment footprint increases significantly. But uh, I think really large-scale reductions and scalability, I think we've done a good job organizationally of right-sizing and then I think being able to manage uh, the peaks and valleys a little bit better than what we've done in the past. 
And I, I think we're in all the markets that we want to be in at this time. So there's no, you, you know, it's not like a district reactivation that would uh, drive that fixed cost up. So even even some of the district overhead, like Mike's talking about with the mechanics, that that's directly related to the fleet uh, startup that we actually have. So so I, I think we're in a in a pretty good uh, position. I think we've we're, we're we're quite happy with the way our our operations and and the, the support groups have uh, taken costs out. And obviously, given especially where we are today, you know we're not going to be too fast to add those back in, and they know that uh, as well. So everyone is trying to be. Uh, if there's a need, we'll we'll definitely look at it. But uh, you know it will get uh, a lot of scrutiny before it actually happens. Okay, great. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks, John. Thanks, Thanks John. Again, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. At this time, I have no further questions. I turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, as we said, we'll keep the market updated uh, with any developments uh, from our recapitalization process. And outside of that, we look forward to talking to you in the new year with our uh, fourth quarter results. Thanks very much. Thank you, everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.